Well, this morning we're going to tackle a very difficult subject, and the title of the sermon is How Could God Allow Evil and Suffering? All of us, I would say, agree and admit there are a great deal of evil in the world. I mean, you look at the news, even this past week, where you have a news anchor and a cameraman doing their job early one morning, and a disgruntled ex-employee comes and just shoots them. Uh, right on the side of the of the, of the road there, and uh, you think, what what prompted something like that? What type of evil is going through someone's mind to do something like that? And that's just one instance, but you have across the world uh, that uh, multiplied exponentially to not only individuals but entire groups of people going through vast amounts of suffering. And my father-in-law. Uh, He has a phrase that he often says uh, as he just goes through life. He says, you know, no matter what happens, I will draw my line in the sand and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, when you hear that, you may say, I agree with that statement because you know the Lord. But there may be part of you that thinks, whatever happens, you're going to draw your line in the sand and say that. I mean, how can you say that when you consider the evil that occurs and the suffering that people go through? And you, you may have a philosophical problem with that. You may have that traditional philosophical issue where uh, you state something along these lines. You know, if God were all-powerful, He would prevent evil. Or He could prevent evil. If God... We're all good. He would desire to prevent evil. So, if God were both all-powerful and all-good, there would be no evil. There is evil. Therefore, this God doesn't exist. Is the way some philosophers put this problem. Or your problem may be not necessarily philosophical, but it may be more personal. You know, as you experience evil or someone close to you experiences evil and you think, God, I just, I don't see how this meshes with the God of the Bible. But no matter where you're coming from as it relates to this problem of evil, we have a problem nonetheless. And the problem is with evil and the existence of evil. And the question is, how could God, who is all good, all loving, all knowing, allow such evil and suffering? So first, let's consider this question in order that we may can get you know, just arrive on the same page. And that is, how do we know evil and suffering exists at all? And you may say, well, Ron, that's a silly question. <laughs> just open your eyeballs. You can see that uh, evil is everywhere and suffering exists all over the world. But actually, uh, the, the admission that there is evil and suffering led C.S. Lewis to embrace faith in the God of the Bible. I want to read to you what he uh, says as he recounts his journey. He says, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust. Not simply that it did not happen to please my 
private fancies. He goes on to say, consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. And what he's saying there is atheism turns out to be too simple because not only does atheism deny that evil exists, but it would also have to deny that goodness exists. Because without God, there is no morality. There is no absolute morality. There is no absolute moral law giver. And for the Christian, we would say there is a personal, absolute, infinite moral law giver who is good, and that is the God of the Bible. And I would imagine most of you in here agree that evil is in the world. And you call it that. It's evil. There is evil and there is, there is good. So now let's dive into this problem of evil. You know, I've mentioned in, the, in previous sermons that all fields of knowledge give us clues about the existence of God. But there is one field of knowledge specifically that tells us more than all the others. And that is uh, the, the area of revelation. That God reveals Himself specifically in the Bible. And when you read the Bible, the Bible clearly teaches that God is loving. And that God is all-knowing. And that God is all-powerful. And yet the Bible also acknowledges that there is evil in the world. Great evil, in fact. And so the problem remains, how can an all-loving, all-good, all-powerful, all-knowing God exist with evil that is so rampant in the world today? How can He allow such evil to happen? And there's a few things I want to point out uh, that the Bible teaches. One is that the Bible teaches that God doesn't personally do evil things. So God does not perform evil because God is holy and good and righteous. So He Himself does not do evil things. And He is not held accountable for evil. I don't think you're going to see in the Scripture where God is held accountable for evil or that He performs Himself evil acts. Second, we know from the Bible that evil is possible because of our real choices. So having people like you and me with the ability to make choices, the possibility of evil must exist. If you have the option of choosing something that's good, then not choosing that would be evil. And so that possibility of evil existing in a world where people have choices, real choices, has to uh, be a reality. And actually, according to the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, the choice of Adam and Eve actually brought about, their evil choice, actually brought about the realization of evil on earth. And our choices ever since then have perpetuated evil in the world. And third, we know that God does not stop evil from happening. So God is not responsible, personally held accountable for evil. He doesn't do evil. Evil exists because of our real choices, that has to be a possibility that we can reject good and choose evil. And then we also see that God, in fact, does not stop all of the evil in the world. We know that through our own experiences, and even as we read the Scripture, that evil occurs with regularity and great severity, and yet God does not stop it. That doesn't mean that the, earth, the, the world is completely evil, or as evil as it could be, and the earth is not completely, and the world is not completely good either. We live in a, a time where there is quite the mixture of good and evil. And so God does not stop 
evil from happening. And this leads us, as well as those who don't believe the Bible, to ask, how can a loving God continue to allow evil and suffering? And I think there's basically, there's probably more answers, but at least three answers to this question. How can the God of the Bible allow evil and suffering? Well, one position is, the God of the Bible does not exist. And that that is a position you can take, but you're still left with the problem of evil. So, there you go. Second position is to acknowledge God's existence, but instead of praising Him, cursing Him. And this is what Job's wife does in Job chapter 2, where Job experiences, and Job's wife, they experience a great amount of suffering. Their children die. Uh, Job's afflicted with physical ailments. And yet Job's wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? So Job's wife doesn't... Say, well, God doesn't exist then. He just says, she just says, God exists, but instead of, why would you praise such a God? Just curse Him and die. So that's one option. But you're still left with the problem of evil. And the third position is the position I take. And it is this. This position sees that the allowance of evil is a necessary consequence of the redemption of mankind. It is a necessary consequence of the redemption of mankind. In other words, the possibility of evil is inseparably linked to people with the ability to choose. And having the ability to choose is part of who we are. In other words, I don't believe that God could have created a better world than the one we live in with the evil present that that exists. Or He would have done so. So I believe that that God allows the evil to happen in order to uh, bring about His redemptive plan. And if there were a better way to do it, He would have done it. But this is the best of all possible worlds. Even with the presence of great evil. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in just a moment. But the challenge of this position, and I acknowledge it, is that how do you sync up the existence of great evil and suffering with the existence of a good God and the implementation of this great plan of redemption? Or another way to put it is how, how can evil work for the glory of God? Which is exactly what I'm saying. How does that happen? Or another way to put it is Is there any reason at all for evil? Or is there no reason? Is it just pointless evil? Or another way to say it is gratuitous evil. There's no point in it whatsoever. Is there no point? Well, first of all, I'll say, and I think you probably agree with me, is that there is evil in the world, and there is, I cannot think of a reason for it. I mean, personally, I just can't put together, oh, this is why God did that. You know, a child dying from cancer, or a young girl being raped, or a whole people group being uh, slaughtered. I mean, I can't say, well, oh yeah, God, this is what He was doing there. I mean, I can't say that. I can't come up with a reason. But my point is, when you look at the Bible, God's revelation of Himself, and you read Romans 8.28, for example, I read this verse that says, and we know 
that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And so this verse, and there are others like this, that seem to indicate that God works all things for the good of those who love Him. According to His redemptive plan, He's bringing the people to Himself. And He's working all things for the good of these people. Even the evil. All things means all, right? I mean, it doesn't mean some, it means all. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. And He's working all things, it says here in Romans 8, 28, for the good of those who love God. And so, when you hear that, you think, well, how does He do that? And like I mentioned, I can't think of a good reason why this happens or that happens, but I want to say, uh, just because I can't think of a good reason doesn't necessarily mean there is no good reason. Right? Let me illustrate it this way. Alvin Plantica, he's a Christian philosopher, he uses this illustration. And it's kind of timely because uh, my son, he's in 8th grade, and their school is taking their entire 8th grade class, leaving on Monday, leaving tomorrow, into the woods for a week. And they're going, no showers. You know, I'm just, I don't know what that's going to be like on Friday. But, um, you know, there's going to be some funkiness there. But it's, they're going for a week in the woods, okay? And I was reading through this packing list, and one of the things it says, you know, you should think about bringing, and yeah, Alex, you can tell me if this is true. You know, sometimes, I've never seen one of these, but I found one in Walmart, uh, a head net, insect head net. For, you know, it keeps the, the noceums, those little tiny insects and other insects away from you. And you need to bring, you know, uh, insect repellent, you know, long sleeves for the insects. You don't want to get uh, bitten by all these things. And uh, there's these things called, he says on the, on the packing list, these noceums. You know what these are? These little tiny insects that you can't see, but they bite you and it hurts really bad. Well, Plantica uses, uses these noceums as an illustration. He says, if you look into your tent for a St. Bernard, and we all know what a St. Bernard is. My grandfather used to have these big old dogs. They're massive. And then he went from a St. Bernard to a Great Dane. I don't know why, but he did. But he had these big St. Bernards. And Plantinga says, you know, if you look in your tent for a St. Bernard and you don't see one, then it's reasonable to assume there is no St. Bernard in your tent. Right? But if you look in your tent for a no see an extremely small insect with a bite out of all proportion to its size, and you don't see any, is it not reasonable to assume there aren't, they aren't there? Because, after all, no one can see them. He goes on to say, Many assume that if there were good reasons for the existence of evil, they would be accessible to our minds more like St. Bernard's than like no But why should that be the case? So the point is, just because evil appears pointless to me, doesn't necessarily mean it is pointless. Even though I may not be able to construct this grand tapestry of what God is doing in every situation of the world, to say there is He's not doing anything, uh, I think is beyond my understanding. And it doesn't mean that, that He's not doing something, in fact. Because when I read Scripture, when you read throughout the Scripture, which one thing Scripture does, by the way, is it interprets events for us. 
See, events happen. Like I sat down with someone this past week who found out, just found out they have, they have cancer. Well, they could ask me, Ron, why do I have cancer? What is God doing? And what can I say to that? I don't, I don't know. I can't answer that because I don't, God hasn't interpreted that situation for me. Except for just saying, in general, God's working all things to, together for the good of those who love Him. But I can't speak to that specific issue. But what the Bible does is the Bible talks about events and then interprets the events for us and tells us exactly what God was doing. So I want to give you a couple examples of where we see God actually using evil and bringing about good from it. One example is the story of Joseph found in Genesis 37 through 50. And I just want to sum sum up this story for you. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, wrongly. But they were filled with jealousy. And so they take Joseph and they throw him into a pit. Okay, they were going to kill him. But then they decide instead of killing him, we're going to sell him into slavery. So he's sold into slavery by his brothers and then he's carried eventually into Egypt. But then later, Joseph could say to his brothers... In Genesis 45, verse 5, he could say, God sent me before you to preserve life. Because you see, in Egypt, there was a great famine in the land that spread throughout Egypt and surrounding areas. And Joseph, through many ups and downs, and you can read about this, it's pretty astonishing when you think about all the different scenarios and the evil he experienced, but eventually he rose to a position of prominence in the Egyptian government. And under Joseph's leadership during this famine, thousands of people were saved from starvation, including Joseph's own family. And this led Joseph in the end, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, to say this to his brothers. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me. And in fact, it was evil. Jealousy. Plot to kill. Sell into slavery. Joseph was later thrown in prison. Uh, as an innocent man and served several years in prison. Uh, Lots of evil and suffering went his way. But Joseph said, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so when you have that interpretation, when God interprets the event for you and you say, okay, this is what God was doing. Without God telling us that, we would not know that. But he interprets that for us in his word and tells us this is how he was working in this instance. And then let's consider another example, the greatest example in the history of the world. And that is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus being fully God, fully man, sentenced to death. He was completely innocent, as innocent as you could possibly be. And yet, by the actions of evil men, He was nailed to the cross. And yet it's through that very evil act of killing an innocent man that God is going to bring about the redemption of mankind. So God uses something of great evil and suffering to bring about the greatest good possible, which is the redemption of people and the restoration of all creation. Christian philosopher Peter Kreft said this. He said, God's answer to the problem of suffering is that He came right down into it. Many Christians try to get God off the hook for suffering, but God put Himself on the hook, so to speak, on the cross. 
And Kreft is speak, speaking of the fact that in Jesus Christ, God took on our sufferings in order to overcome evil. In other words, through an act of great evil on the part of men in crucifying Jesus, God brings about redemption for mankind and all creation. And this is the greatest example of God using evil for the good of His people. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ and His death and His resurrection that we have been forgiven of our sin and we've been brought into the family of God. And it's through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus that we endure suffering. So not only do we look at suffering and say it's, it is hard and God can sympathize in Christ because Christ suffered, but not only did Christ suffer, but He was raised from the dead. And so even in the midst of suffering, unjust treatment, evil, that cannot be explained, we see that Jesus not only identifies with our suffering, but will deliver us from our suffering through the resurrection. That's the hope of the resurrection. That Jesus, according to the book of Revelation, when He returns, He will make all things new. So it's not only that Jesus can sympathize with our weakness, but that He's conquered sin and death. And so that in Christ, we endure suffering. We can walk through suffering because we know that Jesus is going to bring about renewal. He's going to right the wrong, so to speak. Listen to the Apostle Paul's perspective in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 18, or verses 16 through 18. He says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And listen to what he says about life. He says, For this light, momentary affliction, and if you know the Apostle Paul, I, mean, I think we would say he, he went through some affliction that was anything but light. But yet, Paul is looking at eternity. And as you get into chapter 5, he's thinking through you know, a glorified body and living with God forever. And that's in his view. And so what he's saying is in view of eternity with God, this life is but a light momentary affliction. And he says it's actually preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so, as we embrace Christ, His death and resurrection by faith, we walk through evil and suffering, even in the midst of questions, because of the promise of God in the Scripture that says He's going to make all things new. He's going to bring about justice. It may not be justice in our, in our lifetime, but yet God says He will bring about justice, complete justice and restoration. And one of my favorite preachers put it this way. He said, The biblical view of things is resurrection. Not a future that is just a consolation for the life we never had, but a restoration of the life you always wanted. This means that every horrible thing that ever happened will not only be undone and repaired, but will in some way make the eventual glory and joy even greater. This is that Romans 8.28. God will 
work all things together for our good. Now that, we take that by faith. I take that by faith because I can't piece all that together. But what he's saying is God is doing something, in, even in the midst of this broken and evil world, that will bring about great joy and glory for His people. And although the reasons for evil, like I mentioned, are like the no in the tent, you know, we cling to the promises of God's Word by faith. And when I talk about faith, I love the way uh, theologian John Frame talks about faith. He says, faith is not blind. Oftentimes when you ask people to define faith, they say, well, it's just blind faith. You just believe because you believe. Well, no. Faith isn't blind faith, but it's not the same as sight. Right? It's not blind, but it's not the same as sight. He goes on to say the nature of faith is to persevere despite unanswered questions. Thus, God, thus does God's Word encourage sufferers to hold on tightly to God's promises and not to be overcome with doubt. You know, evil impacts us all. and We all taste evil. Uh, to some degree in our lifetime. And yet, yeah, I believe that God is, is greater than evil. And according to His Word, He is going to bring about His plan of redemption. And therefore, you know, the sufferings and the hardships that we go through are not in vain, but God will use them in working together for the good of His people. And so as we walk through these valleys of life, we cling to the hope of the resurrection when God will make all things new. In the final climax of the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, Sam Gamgee discovers that his friend Gandalf is still alive when he thought he had died. And he cries out, he says, I thought you were dead, but when I thought I was dead myself. But then I thought I was dead, dead myself. And then he says this question, it's an interesting question that Tolkien pens in his novel. He says, is everything sad going to come untrue is everything sad going to come untrue and the message of the cross and the resurrection is that's exactly what's going to happen Jesus will return and he will bring about a renewal to all things and for those who are in Christ he will make those sad things come untrue and in the meantime I can't give you a reason for every evil act or suffering that we experience, but I would simply just point you to the promises of God's Word, that God is working all things according to the counsel of His will, that He's working all things for the good of those who love Him, and Jesus says He will come back, and He will bring justice, and He will bring renewal, and He'll bring restoration. And I believe that is what gives us the hope to persevere, even in the midst of great evil and suffering. Let's pray together. Lord, that is our hope. We cling to Your promises by faith. We know that You are a good God. Even though we, we do not understand the, the evil in the world and how You're using it, but it is impossible for us to say You do not love us. Because Your Word tells us that You so loved the world that You gave Your Son. So we know that You love us. 
And we know that You've done all that is needed through Jesus Christ to overcome sin, evil, and death. And Lord, You tell us in Your Word that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that You raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. That there is uh, hope for those in Christ that You will bring about restoration and renewal. That You will renew this world. That You will put an end to sin, death, and evil once for all. And Lord, that is our hope. And I just pray for each person here as they face their own sufferings and instances of evil. Lord, would You remind them of Your character? Would You remind them of Your promises in Your Word? And would You give them the strength by Your Holy Spirit to cling by faith to Your promises? And Lord, however You're going to use it, Lord, we just trust that You will and that You will use it for our good and for Your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.